welcome back. Episode back, two, Electric Boogaloo. We did it. Of um, singing at brick walls. Colon. Um, Holden Seidlitz's personal diary. So this about, about an Aaron West album called in lieu of flowers. flowers. Uh, so this, I can't um, believe they let us have a second episode. Yeah, no, it's, like, it's kind of astonishing that they let us back in the studio. I thought that they were going to take our keys away, but uh, we're here. Here we are. And um, we're talking about paying bills at the end of the world. Yeah. Not something we want to be doing. Can't no. believe we have to still can't do that. fucking believe. So we... fucked. I'm so sorry. Hey, it's the apocalypse. You owe rent. Is everybody else? Uh, I had to pay rent yesterday. I don't know what day it is for you guys listening at home. Um, two days ago. Jesus. It's, Jesus. That's crazy. Well. Anyway, but so let's. Um, this is a, it's track three on the record. Track right? three. Track three on the album. On the, the second album. song we're releasing. Second song we're releasing. Second single. Um, there's a lot of numbers that to, to keep in our heads. A lot of numbers to keep track um, of. But we're getting it straight. And I would say it's probably the most fun song on the record because it's about a global pandemic that we all enjoyed deeply yeah. and greatly. No, it's been fun. I hope it was fun for you guys. I loved it. I um, think everybody did. I'm still loving it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's. I'm glad it's still going on. Yes. Um, and I think, uh, but I, you know, ultimately I am glad that uh, there is this sort of... Um, personal and political acknowledgement of what Aaron goes through on this record. And there has to be. There has to there be. Has to, I think it's this the the nature of doing a project, and we'll probably talk about this several times throughout this thing, but the nature <laughs> of doing a project where, you know, it's predicated on the understanding that everything that happens to Aaron while in character is canon mm-hmm. and that Aaron exists on the same timeline as all of the rest of us. And so the events of uh, 2014's We Don't Have Each Other happened in 2013 and 2014. The events of Routine Maintenance take place over the years between 2015 and 2019 when it's recorded. And the events of this record start in 2019 when that record came out, the last one came out, and go to present day. And uh, the thing about the years between 2019 and 2023 <laughs> are that several of them were spent um, in a global pandemic that is- Never heard of it, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's wild news. Yeah. And, and again, I am sorry about your coma, but I'm glad to have <laughs> yeah, you no, back. Yeah, no, I'm glad to be back. It's, I've missed a lot, clearly. Um, Hope you can tell me about it through this song. <laughs> and so there's this uh, necessity yeah. to address where Aaron was during this time period and to bring that reality into the story. And I think, um, I mean, and we'll talk about this later because we do have a special guest this episode. We do. Um, but I guess we can we can introduce him when it comes. Yes. But, um, we'll just say that he's very handsome. He's so handsome. And I'm not totally sure he's gonna be on camera. <laughs> But I am. But I can see him right now shaking his head. But I, uh, <laughs> I like it. I like the leather jacket. Um, but anyways, I what I was going to say is that you know we'll talk about production and the, the kind of way that the song sounds later. But I think um, I really love, especially kind of early on in the record, that there's such a story song. It feels sort of like in the same tradition as a kind of like Jackson Brown, like like working class. We talk about Springsteen so much, but it's like, you know, because it's such a clear lineage for me, for Aaron's music, um, that there's this real sort of like feeling of what the people in his life, like their their kind of labor and their lives is part of the music. And it's part of the way the music sounds and it's part of the way that it feels. Um, and I think with a project like this where 
Aaron's biography is so deeply informed by the places that he grew up and, and the jobs that he's had. I mean, working and, and the injuries he's incurred while working, but also the connections that he's made, the mm-hmm. people that he's met, painting houses or fixing fences or, you know, Whatever, yeah. manual labor is, is how he's constructed his world. And so I think that it, it's, it's, it's almost imperative uh, to acknowledge what else that means. I, yeah. And I think the the thing about the, okay, so when I look at the albums, I say it all the time, they lo- I look at them like seasons of television. Mm-hmm. And so it's about breaking the season and yeah. figuring out how it breaks into episodes and how the narrative makes sense. And so a lot of it is me thinking about logically what would happen here, right? And so it's okay. His sister teaches piano. His mom is a nurse at the hospital. What would happen during a pandemic? It's like, well, his mom would be working this like frontline dangerous job, right? This essential job, but no one would want piano lessons. And so there would be this dearth of income in the house. And so first there would be a lot of time to fill, a lot of space to fill. And I wanted to show how like slow that space could move by just showing Aaron and Colin ambling through life. Um, and trying to show these kind of small moments of connection between the two of them. And then there was this understanding that like, okay, well, Aaron's gonna need a job. And so I actually literally canvassed friends about this. And (laughs) one of my friends, dad owns a garage door company uh, very close to the town that Aaron lives in. And I was like, I bet he would have given Aaron a job. And so Aaron works doing driveways. He does his homework. Dan really does his homework. <laughs> if there's one thing I know about this man. So Aaron works doing driveways and um, and fixing garage doors just to try to keep the bills paid. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I brought into focus the, um, the, like the financial strain that the pandemic put on so many working class families and like how we kind of as a world, as a country, continued to feed frontline workers to the machine of this disease. And, um, you know, because we've got to keep the lights on. And I mean, it's in the hook, right? It's like, he keeps having a dream about dying from getting this and not being able to afford it. And it's like such a uniquely uh, American experience to live in a, a first world nation. And when you fall ill, be like, but how will my family afford to keep me on this ventilator? Yeah. Um, what what damage will I do? And so I, I thought all those things were like really necessary for this piece of the the narrative and to fill that that time frame. And I think what I mean the the great thing about that line for me is that it operates on this socioeconomic level where it's kind of demonstrative of this household that he's in. It's helping adding color to the story. It's helping characterize the struggle. But it also does something else narratively for Aaron as a character, which is this kind of development of the stakes in his life and his acknowledgement of the fact that people are reliant on him again. Yeah. And the fact that he has a responsibility to this household and to Colin and to his sister and to his mom. And that, you know, I, I think, you know, we talked about this and I think a lot about the way that this um, this line rhymes with him having a dream about the plane going down and Diane not coming to his funeral. Mm-hmm. And that's such a kind of um, 
myopic and, and almost narcissistic it's way a of deeply looking selfish at death. Layer. It's a yeah. deep, deeply, you know, it's like my death is about me and it's about my heartbreak and it's about our divorce and yeah. in the American South. <laughs> and you will become, yeah. It's, and, uh, and this is like, you know, I'm thinking about my death. And also I think we don't have each other. The kind of like suicidal ideation that permeates Aaron's struggle early and like his the, his relationship with death has changed so much over the last decade. Mm-hmm. And so much of that has to do with him beginning to accept love. I mean, he's afraid of it. He's still, especially this early on in the record, he's yeah. still in a place of like great paralysis and anxiety about vulnerability but he is living in this household with people that he does deeply love and care about especially colin and they're having this um you know kind of sweet paternalistic relationship that even enters into dan to to dan whoa (laughs) oh my god jump scare um sorry to break kayfabe um but uh into aaron's psyche such that the way that he's doing like Freudian dream interpretation isn't so much, you know, I'm I'm I miss you and why won't you like eulogize me and is instead like my death will like fiscally impact our family. Yeah, cripple. Like yeah. you guys need to eat and I need to help you do that. And yeah. if I weren't here, there would be like cons- it would be to the considerable detriment of these people. And also like there's so much that you can glean in, especially in that second verse, about the socioeconomic condition that they're in and the job that he's working. My first job when I was 14 (laughs) was uh, helping my my great uncle, Um, he was a painter. He picked me up in the morning and I remember we'd get to Wawa in the morning and they would all buy, you know, smokes and coffee and I would buy a tasty cake or something. (laughs) But at a certain time in the morning, a place like a Wawa uh, which for people that don't live in the 95 corridor is like a combination gas station convenience. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. It's a beautiful place. The people that will be there are are people that work labor jobs, hard labor, skill, you know, skilled labor jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain like um, acknowledgement of like class and of the systems that it's built on as to who will be at a convenience store before the sun comes up getting ready to go to work and who is not um and what that means for how possible it then is to pay for getting sick totally i mean and and the other thing is like we talk so much about the economy of storytelling and how you can freight each line with narrative detail, um, kind of like background information, emotional context, all of these things. And and the, um, you know, gas station coffee that tastes like shit and doesn't even wake me up is both an acknowledgement to that experience. It's like a reference to this kind of like cheap, gross coffee that you have to drink out of necessity because it's early and you're exhausted and you, you, you know, you need to go do this job, this like manual labor job and you, and it's not even working. And there's this kind of just like, um, uh, unavailing like struggle to, to make this situation work. But it's also something that I think is so effective on this song and in all of Aaron's songwriting is is like dark humor as a mm-hmm. kind of coping mechanism and as a rhetorical device. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's funny. It's, it's a funny, funny line. It's a really funny line. There's a, you know, and there's the the first first line, um, cartoon Jesus on a cross. Uh, I say he, he must, must be, be running, running late because it's the apocalypse. <laughs> exactly. Even the first line of the song, no one told the birds the world was ending. Um, exactly. Yeah. Totally. Is uh, I think one a really indicative like that's a that's a COVID lyric. Um, totally. That's a lock. That's an early lockdown lyric. Oh, when I read that lyric the first time, I was like, I literally remember. Remember that in moment. March 2020, going outside and being like, Why is like the Earth still happening? Yeah. Right. And then uh, but yeah, I think that it's part of making Aaron a three dimensional character totally. is that like, it's that Whitman quote about containing multitudes. Mm-hmm. It's that something can be both sad and funny at the same time. Yeah. And the acknowledgement of that is what lends itself to humanity um, mm-hmm. and not these kind of, not like a shallow character that only has one mode, right? I think the character has developed over the last couple of records um, and Aaron has developed as a person, but I think that the bringing like a, a blue, kind of dark humor into these moments really like adds like validity to the character. Totally. I mean, and it also is in some ways essential to the story that we believe he's charming and charismatic because my man has gotten away with a lot. (laughs) Even, you know, like even on the first record with Thunderbird where he's sort of like riffing with the, like he's like laid on his rent and it's like, yeah. there's, you need you need to believe that these people and especially the people in his family are willing to keep sticking their neck out for yeah. him. Because if if he was a full unrepentant asshole, yeah. there would be no one there to offer help, right? He needs to be someone that is worthy of redemption in some ways. For the people in his life and for us yeah, as listeners. Um, I think we should bring our guest on. Yeah. Can we bring on, so we have with us via Zoom, uh, the producer of this and every Aaron West record, um, vocalist of the early November and I Can Make a Mess, uh, winner of South Jersey's Handsomest Man, (laughs) it's Ace Enders. Welcome, Ace. Wow. Well, thank you very much for that lovely intro. I am, uh, wow, wow. A big intro. A big intro for a big big guy, the big dog. Big intro. Hey, thank you uh, for having me on here. I'm I'm very excited. This record obviously is... uh, very special very special for many reasons but you know just wanted to say thank you yeah. uh thank you for uh helping me make it i think the first thing i wanted to ask you about was because we're you know we're specifically talking about this song um mm-hmm. also i'm not totally sure if you're gonna be on screen or if it's just gonna be your voice uh for everyone's sake i hope you're on i was gonna screen, say i hope that everyone but can see. just yeah just so everyone knows <laughs> i can see it um so we the first thing i wanted to ask you about picture. was I, I had written the song and I brought it to you in your basement um, right before your kids got home from school. Right. And I said, I have this song and I don't know what genre it is because it, it just, it was so blank at that point, right? I was just kind of playing the chords, singing the lyrics, but there was so little ascribed to it. And uh, you were the one that said, like, are you kidding me? It's a country song. And um, I wanted to know what it about it just like pushed you in that direction and helped you see that when I couldn't. I think that, you know, number one, the just the overall feel of it, you know, struck me in that way. I think like the way that I see music and the way that I especially from you, like obviously your your lyrics are incredible every oh, single time you, you, you have this <laughs> gift that like, you know, I'll sit there and like I feel like nonsense comes out of my mouth. But 
when I hear something that you say and it matches, um, you know, and in my head it clicks, like, you know, it matches the musically, you know, it, it ties it all together for me. And, and this song was one of those situations where, you know, these very specific lyrics, even about the, uh, you know, the garage doors and like installing garage doors, like this blue collar type of work, like mm. you're saying, like, yes, that just paints a picture to me of, you know, a certain type of person and I can see it. And, you know, it just really felt like it, it, it lent itself to that type of that type of vibe. Not only that, I mean, I think that deep down inside you, you got country guy written all over <laughs> you just don't know it yet. You know, I appreciate that. Um, coming from a guy who writes some really phenomenal country songs that are going to be coming out uh, probably in the next year, I would guess. Yeah, That's yeah. my guess. Bug. That's my guess. Um, yeah. But okay, so then, so Ace for the Uninitiated here has produced all of these records and played a lot of instruments on them and has been very responsible for what meat goes on the skeleton, right? Like I bring him these bones of songs where it's like, hey, it's a structure, it's chords, it's lyrics, it's melody. I kind of think these instruments should go on it, but it's really Ace's call a lot of the time at the end of the day, what instrumentation goes in the song and where it goes. And so I kind of give Ace a wide palette and I say sometimes, hey, this song has horns or this song doesn't or, but it was Ace that chose to go with all the different instrumentation on this song with the lap steel, the accordion, um, and I just I wanted to ask you about like how that those decisions were made in your brain um, and just maybe like why those instruments and any other kind of production thoughts on it. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I feel like this album specifically. All right. I had to like I buckled up for some of it. Like I put my seatbelt <laughs> on because there's like 17 different musicians coming into the studio. Um, but very tight schedule. Yeah, very tight schedule, but it was great. It was one of the coolest experiences. And to have the, you know, the all these colors to paint with in a, in a song like this, it was really, really special, you know? And for me, so much fun. Like, I can hear music. I'm, I have a couple things that I can do well. One of them is being able to visualize things before they're laid out on, you know, the actual paper. So when it came to this, obviously, Obviously, we needed the uh, the lap steel on this one. We needed we needed that type of a vibe, and it's sort of like I take everything that Dan, Dan does, you know, and vocally, melodically, where he is and how that lands, and just try and you know complement that as much as possible with everything else. Even if you listen to um, the way that Nick performed on this song, it's almost it's got that like like sort of like swaggy shuffle type feel, but it's not straightforward. It's very much like this cool vibe that you can sink into throughout the whole track and you know from first your guitar and vocal everything else complements that and i feel like he did an excellent job of really being able to you know bring out that vibe within this song and then it comes like you know lap steel next and then guitar and then obviously you know we're very bass friendly uh, group <laughs> around here so it's like we just keep adding these layers that um that try not to step on the main purpose and the main focus which is bringing that person in via dan's lyrics and you know I, I try and do my best job of making sure that it's all complementing you know what he's trying to say if he says maybe sometimes a lyric will inspire a certain vibe um, and i know i think you hear a lot of talk back on this record between 
um, the guitar lines, either it's a guitar line or a, a steel line and your vocal. And I think that's one of the really cool things that I like to try and, you know, that's what I, I base a lot of my decisions around. Everything yeah. in the conversation. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you saying that the center of this song is the, the lyrics and melody, but the center of this song is obviously Nick's snare tone, which is incredible. <laughs> Just like such a cool, like thud snare on this yeah. one. Nick really, it's huge. Nick really did crush it. Um, and I love the accordion on this song too. Yep. Um, and Holden and I were talking before this about the episodic nature of the songs. And you had a question about kind of like cliffhangers, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that this this song obviously establishes a lot of narrative ground because it furthers, um, you know, it furthers Colin's character and their relationship, but it also introduces a new character, yeah, which is Sam. It's the first time you get anything from Sam, and uh, and I was I was interested in kind of like especially considering the record sort of as a as a TV show. It's like when do you where do you cut the episodes? Like, what's a scene? What's a kind of a contained story or vignette? And how do you kind of work these songs into each other? Um, especially because Aaron's story has now so many years of breath. Mm-hmm. And how do you know when you can sort of drop something in, a character, reference them, and it will, and you can trust your listener that they'll feel the sort of full weight of everything that's come before how do you know when to recontextualize things how much do you need to give each character each time you introduce them um and and yeah just sort of like how to to sort of splice yeah the story i mean it's and that yeah that interstitial st- structure is like it's so important to the storytelling and i want to get back get to ace with it in a second because there's um something specific we did musically with that but I think that the the way that the next song starts, which I don't think is gonna, it's not coming out before the album, but you'll hear it, it's called Monongahela Park. Mm. I needed that to pick up already knowing who Sam is. Yeah. To a degree, right? Not fully, not understanding the character entirely, but I couldn't spend time in that song introducing that character. And also I think that, like we're saying, it's all episodic and so, planting seeds for later songs in earlier songs is something that I think is really, really important and has been happening throughout the entire project from the lilies that get found in Run and Scared mm-hmm. to you know finding them in your pocket in Carolina Coast to the first mention of Aaron's brother-in-law being sick in Rosa and Rosita, a song that has nothing to do with that. But you get these foreshadowing echoes right. and I felt like this was the right song to bring Sam in and the right environment to run into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ace and I talked about it. We said, okay, well, it's obviously an important lyric to this song and important to the storytelling. It's the only C part of the song, right? Mm-hmm. There's the A verses, the B choruses. This is the only other part of this song. And I think it was Ace's idea to go to piano for it. But the conversation was like, we need to let it to emphasize it. We need to let it breathe a little bit and yeah. to emphasize that this is a different part of this song. And um, I just wanted to see if Ace had any thoughts on on building that kind of, you know, it's, it's a pretty, um, it's an uncommon thing, I'm sure, for you as a producer to not just have to work with music and not to just have to work with storytelling, but to have to work with storytelling in this kind of very episodic way and what that does to your thoughts. 
Yeah. I mean, personally, I think it's like the coolest thing in the world. I think it's (laughs) amazing. Yeah. To put that in, to put that into it, it really gives the listener a, this new, you know, door to walk through that they don't get a lot of times. And, you know, for me, I'm a really, you know, deep creative thinker. And I think that this is just one of another element that makes it really cool. But you hit it on the head when you introduce something like that. You're symbolizing with that new instrumentation and bringing everything down that, you know, this is something different is happening. And subconsciously, you know, you're giving someone the opportunity to feel that in a different way without like, you know, think about it. I, I, I try and look at it through a lens of the first time I listen to something, I'm not really focused or hyper focused on lyrics. I might be driving in my car, or taking my kids to school or something like that, you know, but if I feel something is changing as well as lyrically or in the story, something is changing. I'll go back and I'll then be able to focus on it. It'll give me a reason to come back to it if I'm not right there from that very first jump. And I think I try and bring that type of an element to it because I mean, for, for some, you know, it's a, you know, it, it's hard to really, uh, to dig in that first time, but I, I think that that's a really good way. And you hit it exactly on the head, you know, it's just shifting that perspective a little bit and giving the uh, the listener the ability to um, feel something different at the same time as processing the thought that something different is happening as well. Yeah, yeah, we're offering uh, a soundtrack to that moment that's that's like that is unique from the rest of the song. Um, yeah, tells you key into this, right? Um, There's one other thing I want to talk to Ace about. Um, It's just, we talk about musical touchstones for each song and I always try to make myself playlists of things. I'm like, okay, be thinking about this style. Um, And with this song, I was thinking um, a lot about first aid kit and Mm -hmm. I was thinking a lot about planes and I was thinking a lot about these kind of like rubby, um, Ace, would you call them like bluegrassy harmonies or? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and I, I was like, Ace, I really want this kind of like tense, cool, very human harmony. And what I love about it, so I always joke that First Aid Kit has this unfair advantage because they're sisters. And so like like via DNA, their voices <laughs> will have, they'll, they'll kind of, I think that's true. I think that's like why so many family bands work. Mm. I mean, this is pure conjecture, right? I might I mean, just, especially in country though, there's definitely yeah. like a lineage of that. I might be wrong. Joe, could you fact check me on this? <laughs> is it true that people that are related harmonize better? <laughs> Anatomically. They call it blood harmony? Yeah. That's a real thing? Holy shit. Wow. Well, my um, brother and I are both tone deaf, so. <laughs> in a harmonic way. <laughs> yes. Um, but what I love about that harmony, and one of the, I think the reasons it works really well is that while I'm in it, the other person in it besides Ace is his sister. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So that's Robin singing so on that sweet. harmony. And you guys built that. I wasn't even in the room. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about building that harmony and trying to find what made it so special? Because I yeah, really think that think... took the song from a song I like to a song I love. That's awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. It. I mean, you said from the beginning and you had the idea of wanting this big harmony at the end and I, and I think keeping it human super important because it doesn't stick to a specific note it doesn't stick to a specific pattern where there's times where we're all kind of moving in different directions and like you know switching notes is not as um you know, it's more like you said more bluegrass than it is a straight up pop three-part harmony mm-hmm. and that's kind of the really cool thing about it and you know, we work, me and my sister, obviously, we work very well together when it comes to harmonizing. 
she understands me. I could I could say something and she'll be like, oh, I get it right away as opposed to like having to sing through the entire thing for someone. But um, yeah, it was a really cool moment in not only being able to include her for me, it's really, really cool, but the fact that it complemented the song and worked so well is like, is really special. And I think it did um, achieve what, what we wanted it to exactly achieve. Exactly what I, I think. Exactly what I asked you for. I think yeah. what I said to to Ace and Robin, they, they, my only real note was sing it like you're singing lead. Don't mm -hmm. sing it like you're singing a harmony. I want it to basically be three lead vocals harmonizing with each other. Yeah. Um, and they crushed it. Well, and it's perfect yeah. because it's it feels in, in so many ways like throughout the record, it's another great example of this kind of like indexical mimetic representation of what's happening in the family. There's this like, it is, you know, Aaron in these moments is there's like his sister and Colin and there's kind of this like you know there's like the female vocal and then there's the two male vocals and like it feels like what this it feels like what the family sounds like to me as a listener hearing these moments um, and you know there are moments later on the record that we'll talk about when we get there where there's another um, sort of like twinned vocal moment that isn't a mm -hmm. harmony that is doing the same thing where it's kind of it's telling yeah it's, there's there's a reason it's more people it's doing yeah. what's happening in the in the song in the yeah. world of the song um, I think is can you remind me is Nina on that harmony as well um in that one I don't I don't remember I, but I don't regardless remember Nina's gonna yeah. do it live for yeah. every show that Robin's not there Perfect. and Nina plays Catherine. Right. So it is like, it Aaron will be literal. Sister. It'll be literal. It's yeah. so sweet. I Which mean, and, cool. I, and like the final thing I think I want to say about the production on this song as it relates to the introduction of Sam is that it really, because this song has this kind of, um, this sort of sweet country feel, this sort of like very humanistic, like bluegrassy kind of um, grounded. I think Plains is like a great correlative. Uh, there's a warmth, there's a real warmth to the song. It feels like Aaron is in the right space to receive them as a mm -hmm. person, both narratively, like in story and also sonically. There's a kind of, um, even though what's happening in the world is shitty and he's in a really kind of unfortunate precarious position um there's also there's a kind of there's a kind of um emotional security or at least uh the the guise of emotional security that places him in the right place to receive this new person in his life um and i think in this moment in, in the song even though it is still portentous for what is to come it feels exciting there's this kind of um romance and intrigue to the way that it sounds to the sort of sensitivity of it uh, that I think is really great. Yeah. And I think it, uh, some of the credit there also goes to Nina because I think I don't really know. I, I don't know how to play piano. <laughs> Ace is a better piano player than I am, but also probably would not consider himself a piano player. Whereas Nina is, you know, classically trained and uh, totally. just kind of knew the right inner harmonies to find to really drive that home. Yeah. Uh, well, Ace, I'm a, I'm a piano faker, but I will say really quick. <laughs> yes, what say. you just said about this song, I didn't think about it like that. It never crossed my mind. But the fact that you when you were saying it, I'm sitting there like, oh my God, that's a hundred percent exactly what it feels like. <laughs> that's why yeah, he's the goat. That's why he's here. <laughs> that's why we're here. Why do you think I yeah, got like, him to host? <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, really, really crushed that right there. Like as <laughs> as you're describing it, I'm like, that is. I wish that it was 
like consciously uh, a thought that was going, but that was, that's great. That's a hundred percent. It was intuitive, I guess, for you guys like that. You knew what it needed to be. Um, but yeah, thank yeah. you. That subconscious fog again, just presenting gifts. Yeah, that, just you don't emerging know from. from the ether. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. Well, Ace, thank you so much for taking uh, some time out of your modeling career to come in here. And, <laughs> yeah. come you stop doing that, man. No, I hope that you guys can see see what we're working with here in studio. Right. I love you, Unreal. baby. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank Thanks for yes, coming sir. by. Thank you. You got to answer Absolutely. my text. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You're on a group yeah, chat. I you will. didn't answer. I'll uh, be there. I'll be there. All right. I, I love you. you. Know. All right. I You're a busy man. I get it. You know. All right. I'll see you all. Thank you. See ya. Um, All right. Well, that was episode three. That was episode two. That was episode two. Paying bills at the end of the Man, world. We can fucking it up. Hey, listen, this time it was you. Last time it was me. So I'm just. That was episode two. Paying bills at the end of the that world. That was episode two of In Lieu of Flowers, S singing, singing at brick, brick Walls. I've been Dan. I'm Holden. And no. we'll see you next time. Fuck.